spiritually in Christ, how you should be, we need to figure out how do we bring that into the marketplace? How do we bring that into every place we place our feet? What does it look like to be somebody who honors and loves God and is also a phenomenal mergers and acquisition businessman? How do we do that? Because what we normally do is what we compartmentalize everything. Like we're Christians on Sunday and we get home from work and during work days, we just doggy dog, right? And that's not the way God designed it. When it comes to baking, it's important that all the ingredients are thoroughly mixed together. If this doesn't happen, your recipe won't turn out. Well, today, Pastor Daniel shares that your faith should be mixed into every part of your life. You'll discover that your walk with God should inform everything you do. Like with that recipe, boxing your faith in its own Sunday morning only space will keep your life from turning out the way that God hopes. Now, here's Pastor Daniel in Numbers chapter 31 as he continues his message, War with the Midianites. Okay, a thousand from each army. So you end up with 12,000 soldiers, right? He sends them out to war. Notice he sends them out with Phineas, the son of Eliezer, who remember, Phineas was the protagonist of the ending of the plague in response to the Midianites back in Numbers 25. Remember, there was that man and that woman, and they were desecrating the temple. And literally, Phineas, the son of the high priest, takes a javelin and thrusts it through both of them, and it stops the plague. So Phineas is actually going out along with different holy instruments here, the holy articles, the signal of the trumpet in hand. And notice it says in verse 7, they warred against the Midianites just as the Lord commanded, and they killed all the males. So every Midianite male was killed. Not only that, we find out that all of the kings of Midian were killed. Verse 8, Evie, Rechem, Zer, Her, and Reba, the five kings of Midian. Notice verse 8, that Balaam, the son of Beor, was also killed with the sword. So, of course, Balaam was the one who prophesied for profit. And ultimately, we find out in our Bibles that he is the one who taught Balak to put a stumbling block in front of the children of Israel. So because Balaam couldn't curse the children of Israel, he's like, well, look, I can't curse them because God won't let me, but this is how you get them to stumble. So although he couldn't overtly curse them, he actually gave the way to defeat them. And we find that Balaam also dies in this battle. It tells us in verse 9, and the children of Israel took the women of Midian captive with their little ones, took as spoiled their cattle, all their flocks and all their goods. They also burned with fire all the cities where they dwelt and all their forts. And they took all the spoil and all the booty of man and beast. So what we find is that all the men have been killed. All the cities and forts have been destroyed. The women and the children and all of the spoils of war, all the livestock are taken. Make sense? Now look what it says in verse 12. Then they brought the captives... The booty, and I just want to be honest, don't you wish we could say the, that you had the booty, like, and it's not be like a sinful thing? I just think it's a, 
Like, you know, it's like, you know, it's Christmas time. Here's the booty. You know what I mean? Like, you can't really say it anymore. It's got bad connotations, but it is in your Bible. So don't blame me. Blame the Holy Spirit. Amen. So don't be saying, hey, you got the booty. That would be really bad. But it is a fun word. Just, uh, just. <laughs> verse 12, back to the booty. Then they brought the captives, the booty and the spoil to Moses, to Eliezer the priest and to the congregation of the children of Israel, to the camp in the plains of Moab by the Jordan across from Jericho. And Moses, Eliezer the priest, and all the leaders of the congregation went to meet them outside the camp. But Moses was angry with the officers of the army, with the captains over thousands and the captives over hundreds, who had come from the battle. And Moses said to them, have you kept all the women alive? Look, these women caused the children of Israel through the counsel of Balaam to trespass against the Lord in the incident of Peor. And there was a plague among the congregation of the Lord. Now therefore kill every male among the little ones and kill every woman who has known a man intimately. But keep alive for yourselves all the young girls who have not known a man intimately. And as for you, remain outside the camp seven days. Whoever killed any person and whoever has touched any slain Purify yourselves and your captives on the third day and on the seventh day. Purify every garment, everything made of leather, everything woven of goat's hair, and everything made of wood. Then Eliezer the priest said to the men of war who had gone to battle, this is the ordinance of the law which the Lord commanded Moses. Only the gold, the silver, the bronze, the iron, the tin, and the lead, everything that can endure fire, you shall put through the fire, and it shall be clean, and it shall be purified with the water of purification. But all that cannot endure fire, you shall put through water, and you shall wash your clothes on the seventh day, and be clean. Afterward, you may come into the camp. Now, as if verses 1 to 11 weren't challenging enough for us, by the time you get into this next section, 12 to 24, it becomes even more challenging for us because Moses and Eliezer, they go out to meet them outside of the camp and we find out that Moses is angry. Why is Moses angry? Because the women were still alive. Now, we would say in our contemporary culture, okay, you kill the men, you save the women and children, right? But again, Notice Moses' reasoning why the women shouldn't have been kept alive, because it actually wasn't the Midianite men who caused the stumbling block. It was the women. And so Moses' counsel was, look, all the young boys, the children who are boys, they have to be killed. And any woman who's known a man intimately, she needs to be killed. Now, some of us would say, I can't believe God would do that. Who feels that way? It's okay. It's church. That's right. I feel that way too. But guess what the Bible says? The wages of sin is what? Is death. See, this is where the biblical teaching on what the proper punishment for our sin and the way that we feel about it go in different directions. The person who sins is punishable by death. That is why Jesus died. Because God's standard is so much higher than where we want to put it. We want to say, look, I make a ton of mistakes. So as long as I get grace, 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 we're good. And there is grace for us. But when somebody sins against the holiness of God, God's righteous reaction to that is that is a sin punishable by death. 
We have a different set of standards, but guess whose standard is the right standard? To me, these are the types of teachings that we need in the body of Christ because each one of us has to decide, am I gonna believe in Danielism or insert your name-ism in there? That you are the God who says this is right and wrong or are we gonna bow our knee to the righteous one who says the wages of sin is death? An impure thought punishable by death. That's how serious it is. Someone say, well, why the little boys? Because when they grow up big, they're gonna wanna exact vengeance on because vengeance killing was very common. It's still very common today, right? Somebody hurts your family, you're going to go hurt their family. That's why you have all these things, you know, the eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. People always say, oh, you know, that's terrible. No, that's actually meant to limit our escalation. Because, right, isn't it true? Someone says something you don't like, right? You malign their character. Somebody pokes out your eye, you chop off their head. That's the way human fallenness works. We always, our idea of a proportional response is always an escalation, Right? Somebody cuts you off when you're driving, and what do you do? You ride their bumper, you lay on their horn, and you introduce them to certain fingers on your hand, right? Like, that's the way we work. Now, I'm not saying you guys do it, because you guys love Jesus. You would never do that. But the fallenness of the human heart always leans towards escalation. So any woman who knew a man, according to Moses, was to be killed, because it's hard to differentiate who was involved in the seduction of the children of Israel at Baal Peor. Okay, what's really, I think, the most unique about this is that after all of this killing, what are they really concerned about? Purification in the camp. You notice that, right? Everybody went out to war. You need to be set apart. All of the spoils and all the booty, anything that could be purified by fire it needs to go through the fire. Anything that can't survive fire needs to go through water. Now, for those of you who studied the book of Leviticus with us, remember we talked about that the purification process involves two different sides. One, health code. The other side, religious purification. Don't forget, if you go out to war, right, you end up with blood and human biology on you. You notice when you go into the hospital, everyone wears what? Gloves. Why? Because through human biology, all sorts of diseases get spread. Now, you got to realize thousands of years ago, outside of the promised land, across the Jordan from Jericho, they didn't have, uh, you know, antibacterial soaps of all shapes and sizes and colors. And they, God literally realized that if people brought biological matter into the camp, that people were going to get sick. And so the purification process involved cleansing, washing, Getting new clothes. Why? Because God was actually concerned with the physical well-being of the people. This was like literally the Old Testament. The law is the first health code. Like all they had to do was read their Bibles and you would have known employees should wash their hands before going back to work. Like that's what the Bible is about. God isn't only concerned with our spiritual well-being, but he's also concerned with our physical well-being. So one side of this is God's like, look, you guys were just in war. There was blood, all these different things, biological matter. We need that to be cleansed before you get readmitted to the camp. Purely, deadly, practical, good stewardship for health. And the second side, of course, is religious purification. Why? Because God really does love life. God loves life. And when any time death is involved as it relates to the law, anybody who touches a dead body, what? There's a purification ritual. Anytime someone is involved in the death of something, there's a what? A purification ritual. Why? Because it's a reminder that God loves life. 
And God's design is life, even though you and I have a tendency to forfeit on life based on the mistakes that we make. So there is always this time of being set apart, this washing, this purification, to remind them that, listen, in order to be part of the congregation, you and I need to be spiritually cleansed. We need to have our soiled robes removed, and we need the righteous robes of Jesus on us. That's what the waters of baptism is. Isn't that a picture of it? What we don't realize is that in Jewish cultures of Jesus's day and today, they had a thing called the mikvah, that what it was, it was literally, it was, we would call it a baptismal tank, that when somebody was ritually unclean, before they got readmitted into the social and spiritual life of the children of Israel, they would actually go and be submerged in water and come on out again. That's why when John the Baptist started baptizing for the confession of sins, the repentance, no one was like, hey, what are you doing? They already knew what it was. It just had a new significance. And so it's a reminder to us that in order to be readmitted to the people of God because of the soiling that we have received from our own life, the world around us, we need to be cleansed. It's a reminder that God is holy and we need to become holy. And don't we struggle with that a little bit? There's a part of us that wants to pretend that we're still always holy. Even though we've done all this stuff, we've been involved in all this stuff, all this stuff's gone on, and we want to delude ourselves to thinking that we haven't been soiled. And so it has not only health code protecting the people from illnesses that would come from biological matter, but there's also a strong spiritual component. And don't miss that, because I think oftentimes as Christians, we forget the dead practicality of the things of God also. We want to spiritualize everything, right? When we realize that our spiritual lives should be fully integrated into our physical lives. Who you are spiritually in Christ, how you should be, we need to figure out how do we bring that into the marketplace? How do we bring that into every place we place our feet? What does it look like to be somebody who honors and loves God and is also a phenomenal mergers and acquisition businessman? How do we do that? Because what we normally do is what we compartmentalize everything. Like we're Christians on Sunday and we get home from work and during work days, we just dog eat dog, Right? And that's not the way God designed it. So we don't want to only spiritualize everything and we don't want to only practicalize everything. We want to be spiritual and practical. And I believe the things of God is actually designed for both. If we can do the work to get there. Now look at what it says. If you pick up in verse 25, oh, and don't miss the fire and water. You'll pick up the fire and water typology, of course, in the New Testament as well. Things that can go through fire, go through fire. Things that go through water, go through water. Now, people always argue, what's the fire? Is the fire the refining fire of God? Is it the fire of the Holy Spirit? You know, you have all these different pictures. And then, like, was the water, is the water of baptism? Is the water of the Holy Spirit? You know, and guess what? It is all of those things. You know what I mean? What I love about the Lord is he's not afraid to mix metaphors. He's not afraid to use the same thing to mean five different things. I think sometimes... Part of our struggle as post-enlightenment Westerners is that everything can only mean one thing. That was the enlightenment. We map everything, it only means one thing. And we forget, like, God wasn't, like, this was all written way before the enlightenment. Like, it's not anti-enlightenment, it's just, we have a tendency, oh, if it's water, then it needs to be the Holy Spirit, or if it can't be baptized, or is it baptized? And people fight about it. It's like, well, it's actually both. Because really, you, you can't be baptized without the Holy Spirit because the only way you can get baptized is if you say yes to Jesus. And the only way you can say yes to Jesus is if the Holy Spirit shows you that. So it's like, 
we're trying to mince hairs to fit things in boxes when God's like, yeah. You ever try and fit God in a box? He's always poking his arms out, you know? Every time you think you got, you got God dialed in, right? And all of a sudden, boom, God's like, yeah, no, I'm not that guy. I always say, if you can put God in a box, don't worship him. Why would you want to worship someone in a box? Amen? Amen. Okay, no one got that joke. Anyway, let's keep going. I tried, I tried. Verse 25. Now the Lord spoke to Moses saying, count up the plunder that was taken of man and beast, you and Eliezer, the priest and the chief fathers of the congregation and divide the plunder into two parts between those who took part in the war, who went out to the battle and all the congregation and levy a tribute for the Lord of the men of war who went out to battle one of every 500 persons, the cattle, the donkey, and the sheep. Take it from their half and give it to Eliezer the priest as a heave offering to the Lord. And from the children of Israel, half you shall take one of every 50 drawn from the persons, the cattle, the donkey, and the sheep from all the livestock and give them to the Levites who keep charge of the tabernacle of the Lord. Verse 31. So Moses and Eliezer the priest did as the Lord commanded Moses, the booty remaining from the plunder, which the men of war had taken, was 675,000 sheep, 72,000 cattle, 61,000 donkeys, and 32,000 persons in all of women who had not known a man intimately. And the half, the portion for those who had gone out to war was in number 337,500 sheep, and the Lord's tribute of the sheep was 675. The cattle were 36,000, of which the Lord's tribute was 72. The donkeys were 30,500, of which the Lord's tribute was 61. The persons were 16,000, of which the Lord's tribute was 32 persons. So Moses gave the tribute, which was the Lord's heave offering to Eliezer the priest, as the Lord commanded Moses, verse 42. And from the children of Israel's half, which Moses separated from the men who fought, now the half belonging to the congregation was 337,500 sheep, 36,000 cattle, 30,500 donkeys, and 16,000 persons. And from the children of Israel's half, Moses took one of every 50 drawn from the man and beast and gave them to the Levites who kept charge of the tabernacle of the Lord as the Lord commanded Moses. Then the officers who were over thousands of the armies, the captains over thousands and captains over hundreds came near to Moses and they said to Moses, your servants have taken account of the men of war who are under our command and not a man of us is missing. Therefore, we have brought an offering for the Lord what every man found of ornaments of gold, armlets and bracelets and signet rings and earrings and necklaces to make atonement for ourselves before the Lord. So Moses and Eliezer the priest received the gold from them, all the fashioned ornaments and all the gold of the offering that they offered to the Lord from the captains of thousands, the captains of hundreds, was 16,750 shekels. The men of war had taken spoil, every man for himself. Verse 54, and Moses and Eliezer the priest received the gold from the captains of thousands and of hundreds and brought it to the tabernacle of meeting as a memorial for the children of Israel before the Lord. What we have now is a lengthy explanation of the division of the spoils of war. 
That's what we have here. Now, you notice first you get the share for the soldiers. And you notice that in this, that the shares for those who went out to war and the shares for those who stayed behind are the same. Why? Because we're all in this together. That's the idea. And so we also get this in 1 Samuel. When David's armies went out, those who went out to battle and those who stayed behind with the stuff, everybody gets an equal share. And that's an important reality. Because you know what happens oftentimes? Like in a family where maybe a husband goes to work and a wife stays home, right? It almost feels like, well, I'm the one making the money and you're taking, take home taking care of the stuff. And I really, it's my money. And you should be grateful I pay for you, right? And that's just flat out wrong. Because within any unit, there are people who go out and there are people who stay by the stuff. I realize I come to work at Crossroads almost every day. Lynn works way harder at home, right? I mean, God bless her, you know what I mean? And she gets to put up with me when I'm done with work. I mean, poor girl, you know what I mean? And so it's not like, well, yeah, so because I'm the one who gets the paycheck home, sweetie, then I, all the money's mine and I'll give you an allowance. See, it's a reminder that we are one. And in the same thing, in the work of God's kingdom, we all have different roles and functions to play, and God values them all equally. We live in a day and age. I love being a pastor. I love being a Bible teacher, but I'm not more anything than any other part of the body of Christ. I'm just part of the body, saved by the blood of Jesus. We have a tendency to put pastors on a pedestal. Why? The pastor should be on the same pedestal that the usher is on, that the musician is on, that the sound person is on, that the kids ministry worker is on. You know what the pedestal is? At the feet of Jesus. That's where we belong, because the only reason we do anything is because we're there. And it's just a good reminder. So for some of us, we need to hear that because we value certain things more than certain other things and we shouldn't because we're all in it together. That's the first thing. Notice next. In all the plunder, whether it is for the soldiers or those who stay behind with the stuff, everybody gives an offering as unto the Lord. That's what you find. There's the principle of the first fruits that come on in here. And God says, because of all the stuff that you got, certain percentages need to go as unto the Lord, unto the Levites who are caring for the things of the tabernacle. So there is that principle. We talked about this on Sunday, right? Honoring the Lord with our possessions. And this is all the way through this section. The Lord gets his peace because they would never have had any of this stuff unless the Lord had given it. And the idea for us is that everything you have has been given to you by loan of the Lord. Your body, guess what? It's not yours. You didn't create your body. You didn't create the ability for your body to sustain itself. You didn't actually create the food that you can ingest or the ways your body could turn that food into energy. Everything we have is on loan. The lungs that you have that breathe in air, you didn't create the air or those lungs. It's all on loan. Any skills, talents that you have, guess what? You didn't invent those talents. You didn't even invent the ability to hone those talents. All of that was given by the grace of God. Jesus is real. As Pastor Daniel talked about how the Israelites divided the spoils of war today, you might have noticed that those who went out to war got the same amount as those who stayed behind you learn that though we all have different roles to play, God values them all equally. Regardless of what your particular role is, what your giftings or abilities might be, it's important to remember that we're all in this together and that we need each other to thrive. Hey everybody, this is Pastor Daniel and I wanna be honest with you for a moment. Life is messy and the hard reality is if it isn't messy for you now, it will be and it probably has been in the past. 
Did you know that you can still thrive in tough times? It's true, you can, but only through the power of Jesus. That's the purpose behind my book, Honestly. I want you to know how to keep living your best life in Jesus, no matter the circumstances of your life. You can find out more about it and get your own copy at JesusIsRealRadio.com. Join us again here on Jesus Is Real Radio when Pastor Daniel will encourage you to consider if you're holding back from going all in with God. As you study Numbers 32, you'll see that several tribes, including the tribe of Reuben, were content to stay where they were, not entering the land God had promised them. But you'll learn that the good enough you settle for is a far cry from the best that God wants to give you. We wish we had more time today, but we will have to pick up where we left off next time as Pastor Daniel continues teaching through this series called Preparation. That's next time on Jesus Is Real Radio.